All right. Here we go. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of yesterday and today, and try to put it all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online editor-in-chief, Rich Drees. Hey there! Hey, Rich! Hey, Natasha, how are you? Wow, that was quite a sabbatical that we took from this podcast a whole week yeah i know (laughs) know. we've taken much longer ones and some you know because as john lennon says life is what happens to you when you're making other plans but uh we knew we were taking a week off and it's been a weird weird week yeah it went quick even with continual news for about a week and a half on will smith uh, yeah, I knew we were gonna. Uh, well, be we doing we that. should touch it a little bit, All just right. really quickly. Yeah, as everybody knows, he resigned from the academy last Friday, the Friday after the incident. Um, the academy met about a week later and said, "That's great. We're you're not allowed to show up at any of our events for ten years," which is kind of. A bit of a slap on the wrist, I think, but at this point, because he's not a member anymore, they can't do much else. They could have perhaps put a um, a hold on him being nominated for 10 years as well, which I think might have been the better move. Just mm-hmm. say, we don't care how great your thing is for the next 10 years. You are not eligible to be nominated. And he's got that Emancipation movie coming up uh, later on this year or early next year. And that people are already saying that could be another Oscar contender. Oh, well. Yep. Granted, I don't think he cares because he got his Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on two minds as to whether they should have stripped that from him or not. Um, Has the Academy ever stripped anyone of an award? Of an award? I do not believe so. They've booted people out of the Academy. Obviously, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, I think Roman Polanski was also booted out of the Academy. And there was some actor back in the 50s, and I cannot remember their name. Um, but So you're hoping that a precedent would be sent here? Um, uh, making an, an example of him? Well, it, you know, he showed up. It was, you know, the Academy's house, basically. And he shit the rug rather badly. I'd say not being allowed back in for 10 years is is at least an understandable punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was something else I was going to say about this too, and I can't remember what it was because we kind of got sidetracked with something else. Uh, but anyways, mm-hmm. um, that's that's fine though. It's like, okay, it's done. It's over with. Oh, I know. What's, what's the uh, presenting tradition for best actor and best actress? Oh, Usually they present uh, the following year for the opposite award. So actor will present for actress mm-hmm. and vice versa. So so that leaves the question next year when they're handing out the best actress award to Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> who's going to give it to her? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome if she was nominated yes, for that. I, I think that might be a spoiler for what we're going to do in our review in a few minutes. But um, but yeah, no. What does the Academy do in that situation for Best Actress next year? Who do they get to present that? 
Do they go to uh, Pricewaterhouse Cooper and say, hey, who was the first runner-up in Best Actor last year? Let's let them do it. Do they no. let Jada do it? No. Oh, no. <laughs> do they let Chris Rock do it? That would be fucking funny. That would be a... <laughs> you just walk I, out, I don't know what I'm doing here again. <laughs> I think the, the best thing that they could do, though, in that situation is do what they did a couple years back, um, where they had former Best Actor winners... Like three or four of them oh, come out to present. Yeah. I remember that year where they kind of talked about the craft and stuff. I remember really liking that mm-hmm. that style of presentation. That would be an interesting way to do it. Yeah. Of course, you'd have to spread that across all the categories. Uh, you can't just do it for the one because of Chris, uh, because of Will Smith, where everybody's like, oh, we know why this is happening this way. Uh, well, with you don't have to spread it across all the categories, but you could do it for actor and actress. Well, that's what I mean. And, and supporting actor yeah. and actress. No, you, you don't have to do it for all four. I would just I do would, it for the top two. Okay. Um, therefore, making those categories a little more special, a little more revered. And Put I mean, some of the polish back on that got knocked off. Yeah. And with the best actress nominee, uh, you know, winners up mm-hmm. on stage, you have four or five of them, including Jessica Chastain, who's standing in the center. True. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a nice way to go look, we are. A, trying to fix the mess that was caused last year for the whole world to see. Mm-hmm. This is why we're here. Let us honor the work. Yeah, I mean, and... Not our egos. And I don't think we touched on it in our immediate post-Oscar show, but there was some complaints around that I saw in the day or two following that there was a a lot more than usual jokes at the movie's expenses, at the Academy's expense. You know, I enjoyed the Wanda Sykes thing where she went through the museum, but people were like, well, maybe it's because the first it's, time we're seeing the museum. <laughs> may, yeah, maybe let's not shit all over the museum the first time in. Exactly. Um, um, and, and honestly, maybe that bit would have been better on like um, Jimmy Kimmel or somebody like that. Yeah. Versus, you know, do something a little bit more um, honoring. honoring and a little bit more... Uh, reverent to to the museum during the my, award show itself. My favorite moment of the night joke-wise from the host was uh, they got three women to host the Academy Awards this year because it's cheaper than hiring one man. True. That and was hilarious. That's a perfect joke. That's a solid that joke, yeah. For the, for the venue. I had no problems with that joke. But I think we both kind of cringed when they said, we have a movie here no one's seen, not even the director. And then they said it was The, the Last, Last Duel. Duel. We both were like, oh, come on. And there was no one in the audience from the film. No. Which, Adam which, Driver was not there. Matt Damon was not there. Ridley Scott wasn't there. Ben Affleck wasn't there. Uh, Jodie Comer wasn't there. Uh, which, which we'll be discussing next week. Yes. We'll, we'll be discussing Jodie Comer a little bit more next week. Uh, we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Um, and, and I think that's also made it kind of a little bit more cringy because they're not – they weren't there – to, you know, get that reaction shot of, okay, yeah, ha, ha. You know, at least going along with the joke or anything. Just like, hey, they're not here. Let's shit on them. Which yeah. is a bad look. It, it, it was really bad. Um, considering – and, and they, they shit a little bit on House of Gucci as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Lady Gaga – actually, no, Lady Gaga was there. She presented with uh, Liza Minnelli at the end of the night. Yes. So that joke, and but when they did that, there was no cutaway to Lady Gaga. Mm-mm. No. Okay. So you're directing the Oscars. Mm-hmm. 
live TV. Yeah. You've got camera guys everywhere in that auditorium. And you're covering, because you know most of the jokes that are on their way. Do you always cut to the reaction shot from the, uh, the I don't want to say target of the joke, because or the, you know, the butt of the joke, or, oh, you know, he just made a joke about uh, Robert De Niro. Do you automatically always cut to, like, De Niro or whomever is being talked about? I would say not always. However... Um, when you're shitting on the only two Ridley Scott movies to come out this year, both of them, mm-hmm. and there's only one person sitting in the audience from either film, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's calls for a reaction shot. Yes, that would definitely. Um, I mean, honestly, the, direct, come the on. director and the producers, when they're going over everything with the writers, they should have said, look, these people aren't here. Let's not, you know, crap on. Only, uh, only you know, have jokes. Uh, let's have fun with the people who are there. And leave the people who weren't able to come for whatever reasons out of it. You know, just do the people mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah. I think that might have been a better way to approach that. I agree. Okay. That's why we're friends. <laughs> Not always. I know. Anyways. Um, let's see. The uh, Warner Brothers Discovery merger finalized this week. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Um, I'm sorry. I know you you don't you don't follow the new stuff um or the business side stuff. Not really. And um I'm not sure what this is going to do. I mean, it looks like some of the creative execs on Warner Brothers side are staying. Um so that's probably a good thing in terms of continuity of what's happening with Warner Brothers right now mm-hmm. uh from things that we see like the film, things like that. Um and then, like, the business side, people are kind of moving out as the Discovery people take over those things. My big question is, okay. Discovery does a lot of reality programming on the cheap, mm. okay? And a lot of Warner Brothers movies are very expensive, yeah. What's this guy going to say who's in charge of Discovery when they say, okay, we're going to make a movie like The Batman. We need $200 million. And the, that guy's probably thinking, I could make f- seven series for Discovery on $200 million. What are you talking about? Do, does he understand that movies are a Cost. different Yeah, are a different economic bracket in terms of production? Um, I think he'll look at the – he'll be able to look at – what they're costing versus what they're making back from them and be able to see that it's a worthwhile investment. He may cut them, you know, try to try to do it like 25 million cheaper if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think he's, he's going to take, it's going to take a big hit. Yeah. I wouldn't, be- I would be very impressed. However, if he would look at, scripts and directors um and say look if you if you can go ahead and shoot this superhero film for say instead of 250 million try to do it for you know 175 Mm -hmm. and try to really push them to get the quality of the projects rather than just the sights and sounds of the project um 
that might be an interesting way to go about it because DC can crank out as many movies as they want for however much they want, but they mm-hmm. don't always pan out in the end. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the, the Batman was a rarity amongst them, and it is because it doesn't follow that storyline of the Justice League storyline has not exactly been the most the, seamless the, thing ever. I, you you sound like you're trying to mention you're talking about a certain set of films without mentioning their shared director. Then <sighs> uh, that's fine. No, we don't need no, no, to bring no. him up necessarily. No, I wouldn't say the shared director. I would just say that <laughs> overall story. Um, mm-hmm. I, which, I like yes, Wonder which... Woman. I like Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the solo films work very well by themselves. But in terms of the overall storyline that they're trying to build, doesn't exactly fit in. I, I think I think we're done with that, with whatever that was trying to achieve. And um, they were talking more like in the last year or two of kind of letting directors – bring their own vision to projects. And we've Good. seen that with, you know, Birds of Prey. Suicide Squad. Suicide, the Suicide the su- Squad. Yeah, yes. the Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, and uh, Shazam also. And definitely now the Batman. And definitely the Batman. And some of those movies kind of do have like a shared uh, universe aspect to them. Some of them do not. And that's fine. I honestly, and I think I've talked about this with you before here and off mic. Um as a DC Comics reader of some four decades and a, and a handful of years now, I've always loved the fact that DC allowed their writers and directors to do wildly different things. Technically, it was all maybe a shared universe, but you still had stuff going on over here in the Vertigo imprint, or you had um, the craziness of Justice League International with um, – um, you know, and that crew in the the late eighties, and you still had like the serious Batman stuff, and then uh, the magical stuff that was happening over with Wonder Woman and everything else, and it all was sort of kind of <laughs> the same universe. It's just it had these wildly different tones. Whereas Marvel Comics, there was always pretty much the same kind of tone across all their books. Maybe some were a little darker, maybe some were a little lighter, but not that divergent. Mm -hmm. And we see that with the MCU. They all have a certain type of tone. Some are a little darker, some are a little lighter, some are, you know, and you have something a little bit crazier, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy or maybe the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness coming up um, next month. But you never had anything I don't think as stylistically as different or as, say, something like The Joker versus Shazam. Yeah. Now, And, of course, they can just say, yeah, The Joker movie, that's just a different universe. And that's fine. I, I almost – That's why I loved The Batman was it, it was darker like Joker. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't beholden to any other continuity. Mm-hmm. It could just be its own thing. And I appreciate – I believe me, I love what Marvel does because it, that consistency allows for certain types of stories to be played out over years. It allows for characters to be explored and you know grow and change over years. But I also like what DC does too. Mm-hmm. And I never want to see – I don't think I want to see either of them try to do what the other's doing. And I'm kind of I'm kind of enjoying what we have coming up with DC. Yeah, sure, some of it's connected. 
We don't know what the hell's happening with uh, Flashpoint, which, you know, has been pushed back yet another year. Um, although it, they allegedly shot it, I saw pictures from the set, so <laughs> it's an actual movie, maybe. Ooh. Um, yeah. I don't know if Ezra Mill is going to be playing the Flash after this comes out, but he's yeah. got yeah he's got a whole load of problems. Yeah, I saw that mm. there was an emergency meeting at Warner Brothers after, uh, but that that's a story for another time. Yeah, let's not let's not get into. But the, let's uh, deal with our own timelines and and multiverse in our own way. Okay, as in. The Hong Kong style way. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, this this is just us segueing into everything everywhere all at once, right? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Then this is pretty much. So that's the movie the- we're going to be talking about. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once, and- which sounds like my life. <laughs> <laughs> and. I think we're we can't talk about this movie without spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, hit pause, get in your car, get on a subway train, take a bus, hitchhike, fly, whatever you need to do, get to your local theater that's swim. showing swim. Swim. <laughs> um Yes, if you're living in Venice listening to this, swim up a canal to your local uh <laughs> Le Cinemaplex. <laughs> <laughs> or if it's raining like it has been in our yeah, area yeah. for the last couple Ooh, yeah. of days. I saw a boat going down the street the other day connected to the back of a truck and the water was just like shh, right up the sides <laughs> of the truck. Oh, no, it was oh, right down the main oh, street. while it was raining. And we're like, no, come back here with that boat. That's our ride home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, um, um, yeah, if that's the case, get in your boat, get to the local movie theater, AMC, Cinemark, whatever is showing it. And watch this damn film. Because we love it. And this is just going to be a 20-minute love fest on this thing. Oh, God, yeah. At this point. This was my first five-star of the year. Yes. Same here. Same here. (laughs) Um, And, okay, briefly, the story of this movie is Michelle Yeoh is a harried woman in uh, in the middle of her life, middle-aged woman, who is married, uh, living in... Uh, having immigrated from China to America, her she's having relationship issues with her daughter. May run a failing laundromat, yes, and, her and her husband. husband wants to file for divorce. Yes, uh, nothing has worked out the way she ever thought it was. She doesn't feel she's living up to her potential at all. Oh, and they're also being audited by the IRS. Oh yeah, that's but, very important. While their grandfather just moved from China to join them because of his ailing health. Yes. So, you know, a lot on her shoulders, and she's feeling very depressed about it. And then she discovers that she is the most important person in the multiverse. Yeah. Not the universe, the multiverse. Um, Because in another Earth, they discovered how to jump their consciousness between universes to their the whatever version of themselves are on those other Earths. And, and be able to utilize their skills. It, already this sounds insane. I know. <laughs> already this is sounding crazy. And I don't <laughs> think we're doing a lot of justice to the premise. I know, I know. But um, they're able to utilize their skills and their past of other versions of themselves in their current universe to whatever they need to do. So if... Um, Say there's a universe where you studied martial arts Mm -hmm. and you're in the middle of getting jumped in an alleyway by like 
10 guys, well, I'm just going to tap into, um, I'm just going to tap into Natasha from martial arts world and I'm going to become a Kung Fu master all of a sudden and kick your ass. (laughs) Exactly. And (laughs) as she is targeted by an evil being in the multiverse that kind of wants to destroy the multiverse. Called uh, Jobu Tupaki. Yes. I actually got that right. The Jobu Tupaki. Yeah. And, you know, so she, you know, has to find out how to kind of jump these, uh, jump into these other memories and skills. And how they do it is just an amazing, amazing <laughs> film. It, it, there's a lot of surprises. And even though we said spoilers, we're going to not do, we're not going to spoil every single surprise. We're going to try not to, at um, least. Yeah, no. It, it, <laughs> there's so many beautiful moments. This movie is fucking badass it's hilarious okay. there are things i'm never going to be able to think about the same way just normal ordinary things every day like a bagel a hot dog <laughs> a rock mm-hmm. a pomeranian <laughs> and wasn't there something else oh, oh dildos yeah dildos <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, that that was hilarious <laughs> and what what i, I Okay. <laughs> let me let me backtrack here before we get too much further into all of this. Um, I've been going to a lot of press screenings over the years. Uh, I've been on, I think, Ala uh, the the press screening list that I'm on since 2008. So yipes, 14 years now. And I know I've and, been doing it with you for the better part of five. Yes. Um. Can you recall ever being at a critics-only screening like we were for this? Not not a screening where it's critics and then they it's a word-of-mouth one, so they also have a bunch of people who won tickets on a radio station, like the Jurassic World or anything like that, those screenings, <laughs> but where it's just the critics. It's just us. And there was applause at the end of the screening. Can you recall that at any time? And I know I, that there was one other, and I can't remember what it was. Really? Yeah. Because I can't even remember that. Yeah, there was one, and mm. I can't remember Because I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, let's even include the critic screenings we were at for Tribeca and stuff like that for a couple of years. Uh, well, and, those screenings, a lot of them had people, like, public well, some, in there. Some of them were public, but we did do a bunch that were just like parties press just and be- industries. Parties Just Beginning also had... Yeah, that. well, that's because we bought those tickets for the world premiere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or um, for the North American premiere. Uh, but the press and industry ones, like where we saw... Um, Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> People couldn't get out of there fast enough after that one, I what don't was think. That, what was but, that one with Martin Freeman, the zombie film? Oh, That yeah. one was another one that just kind of went flat. Zoe was pretty good, although there but, wasn't a but, lot yeah, of... But yeah. I'm, I'm talking like where no. the, uh, the, the critics, a bunch of jaded... Get, Guys and gals who sit there and see movies all day and have seen it all and are, you know, and everybody was like, holy cow. And there was applause in the theater. That's that's what happened at the end of this movie. Yeah. No, I, I can't. Not even Jojo Rabbit. Although that cut pretty close. But everyone was just kind of, I don't want to say bummed, but um, 
it, it deals with some real heavy shit in that film. So everyone was just kind of sitting and they were blown away, but they were kind of sitting and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, with this one, it was just full on applause. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was. It, and that's. It, it was like so, end game so, for critics. <laughs> <laughs> we were yipping and, and hollering because, and people were applauding during the mm-hmm. film, not just at the end. I mean, and I've said this to you before, I think as we were setting up. If you told 12-year-old me that, like, the multiverse would be a, lifted out of comic books and being used in mains, not just comic book adaptions like we're seeing, mm-hmm. but now, a, you know, a mainstream movie like this, and there's public acceptance of the concept in general. Yeah, you have a character, have to explain it just a little bit. But overall, if you told me that, like, when I was 12, I told you, you would be, that it would be all acceptance and everything. I would say you're out of your mind. Yeah. Uh, honest to God, I, I was not expecting what I walked into. Uh, the trailer just kind of looked like, okay, it's a Hong Kong action film um, w- that has to deal with uh, one person in the multiverse. Instead, I ended up with Short Round and a fight between <laughs> Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis. I never knew how much I needed to see that until it was right there in front of me. And she, Jamie Lee was about to put her kneecap right through Third. Michelle Yeoh's face. It was great. Uh, yeah, there's so much in this. Yeah, and I'll admit, the the trailer kind of made it seem like a little bit of multiverse and a little bit of Zen Buddhism. <laughs> and yeah, that's all in there um, with googly third eyes for people. But no, what we got was... Um, Hot dog fingers and uh, rocks in meme talk and um, uh, people's heads exploding into literal confetti, blue and purple and pink confetti, Um, the best costumes ever. And since Alexander Wang was one of the the producers on this film... uh, no shit, we got some really great costumes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they really, I think, got very creative with these ideas mm-hmm. about the multiverse and the possibilities there. And I think doing it, you know, just as a straight, you know, kind of science fiction, science fantasy film outside of a uh, comic book context allows them to be more flexible, be more uh, imaginative, be crazier with it. And yeah, that's how you wind up with. People with hot dog fingers. And, that was hilarious. And you also have the ability to just throw in like a 10-second cutaway to explain why there's a universe where people have hot dog fingers. <laughs> and, you know, so – and, of course, they reference Stanley Kubrick mm. in, in that 10-second cutaway, which is insane. There's so much to this film. Now, we've seen it twice. Yes. And I still think there are things that I want to peel back and watch again. Everything from, like, when they shift the aspect ratio of the film, um, like, when they when they start to discover more about these multiverses, the film gets a little wider, becomes a little bit more epic in scope, mm. which I think is interesting. Um, you know, so I kind of want to go back and watch where those switches happen back and forth, because they, they switch back and forth a couple of times. There's... Um, there's so much in this. <laughs> it's kind of like log jamming on me here a little bit to to be able to talk about. But I'd like to really talk though about content versus 
business management for this movie. Okay. This, I'm, I'm not sure where you're going, but go ahead. This movie was made on $25 million. Yes. And it's already made over eight in one weekend. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting considering uh, I know for a fact our local cinema only has it in for four showings a day, which means it's only playing on one screen. Oh, yeah. Opposite like films like Morbius and Ambulance. Um, well, Ambulance kind of tanked this weekend I saw. at the box office. I saw. So, mm. um, but, you know. Yeah, everybody this, everybody took their kids to see Sonic too. That, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, saw that. Which, which is amazing if. I was thinking it was pro- that was probably going to do about fifty million, and it wound up doing like sixty five or seventy, some something crazy mm-hmm. like that. So good for them, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I was I, one of the things that I really love is that yeah, this film was it was backed by the the Russo brothers and great fashion icon Alexander Wang, um, and just so many people wanted to be involved with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. You get you got Jamie Lee Curtis. The beauty of this of the people who are in this film is, you know, they didn't get really paid much of anything. They just wanted to be in it because it was a damn good story. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's. I'm sure a lot of people probably deferred their regular salary and that's or royalties thing. Yeah, in term, you know, in, in exchange for, but. At this point, you, it's made almost half its budget back in one weekend. True. I don't want to see... Well, as, about a, a third. Yeah, because obviously mm-hmm. yeah. there's marketing and all that. And it's been doing most of its marketing through TikTok. That's the best marketing I've seen for it. It's like every five to ten videos, there is like a five-second clip. Wow. Uh, okay. For it. Um and That's, so that feels like a right, the right place to do that though. It, it does because uh video content has become the big thing in terms of marketing and as well as they're trying to get a certain demographic to come to see this movie. Um that is literally the best place to do that. To get people who have the money who want to go see, you know, an action movie but don't want to see your their, your usual you know, run of the mill superhero film or something to come see something mid level mm-hmm. like this, and it's got a name backing it like A twenty four. And and honestly, and this is going to link back to Sonic too. Watch this. Um, if we there were times when parents were fine with just dropping their kids off at the movies mm-hmm. and then going to do shopping or whatever. This is almost a movie you could say. You kids go watch Sonic two. We're going to go watch this, and we'll meet in the lobby afterwards. If you get out before us, here's a handful of quarters to go play video games. Um, and I think if if we were in a, a time like that again, you would have seen um, everything everywhere's box office go up. Oh, Because I, I'm reasonably sure there's not a whole lot of adults who are, like, super thrilled about taking their kids to see Sonic 2. Maybe there are. I don't know. Um, I, I, I would I, say my generation who mm-hmm. has kids are probably super stoked because they grew up playing those yeah, video games. Again. And for some people, yeah. it was a sexual awakening. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was an actual thing. Wow. Yeah. Um, is this a talk we're going to have off mic then later? This is absolutely it, not mine. Okay. okay. But I, then, I... Then I don't need you to, um, to divulge any... Uh, 
confidences you are keeping. It's not a confidence. I've just <laughs> literally had a talk with several people about that in the past. And I actually read at one point, wow. uh, like someone did a party where it was like, show up as your sexual awakening. And like three people showed up as Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't even know how to process that. And I think one person showed up as Kovu from Lion King 2, which, honest to God, when I was a kid, there's a whole generation of furries that exist out there because of those two cartoons. I am Okay. I, th- this conversation has ceased to surprise me as I continue to process <laughs> as we go through. But We're talking about everything, everywhere, all yes, at once, what? and the hot dog fingers. Yes. Are you really all that surprised at this no, point? No, no. <laughs> We're that talking movie, about everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I think this movie is going to have a little bit more legs at the box office. I think people are going to be like, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna carry on word of mouth. I mean, granted, showing up sixth at the box office this weekend, mm-hmm. the weekend it goes wide is disappointing, but. I think this is a movie that's gonna for a mid-level film like this. Mm-hmm. That's it, it. That's still good numbers. True, and considering how much more they probably spent on ambulance, I think. Although I think that was shot on a relatively smaller budget than Michael Bay usually <laughs> works with, um, and that's disappointing because I want to see more mid-level films like this out in the, in the theaters. I don't want mid-level films to be the providence of sell it to a streamer uh because i don't think i would have been really thrilled to see everything everywhere all at once on tv at first if i watched it on netflix or oh god no this is a movie that definitely needs to be seen in the cinema exactly and i'm not backing this but if you end up going to see it while you're absolutely high (laughs) it might actually make for a better experience I mean, you can certainly do that if you live in Colorado or California, uh, California or some of the other states that I can't remember. Um, I thought I thought we were at a point right now where it was going recreational. I mm, I think it is. I kind of stopped paying attention to that whole thing, um, only because you know my dad was you know his career was in retail he was a um manager for a department store then a district manager so so i kind of had like that whole retail experience you know and some knowledge of that and i had worked in retail as well so like when colorado first legalized i was fascinated to watch tv shows on cnn they do like these specials and stuff like that about how these companies set those (laughs) those uh you know, dispensaries up yeah. as as businesses. And I was like, this is really fascinating. But again, we're drifting. Going back cri- quickly to Ambulance, um, did you realize that movie was made for 40? Yes, yes. Not the outrageous sums of money he spent on Transformer movies. Yeah. And, huh. which, which I think is interesting. And, and it's got a big name cast to it. Mm-hmm. Again, that might be where they deferred salaries for... Um, you know, possible back-end profit participation, which is probably not paying off for these people right now, no. unfortunately. But honest, um, when it came down to ambulance, I refused to go see it on principle after seeing that stunt go awry. 
Oh yeah, was that, that's right. That was from mm-hmm. yeah that video that made the rounds on the social media a while back, like right after the pandemic mm-hmm. when productions started back up again. There was a big, you know, it's Michael Bay. He loves explosions and and babes who look like rich guys' girlfriends at a pool party. <laughs> um, but in in this particular film um one of the explosion stunts went awry as a one the ambulance charged forward and a couple of cars exploded in front of them and the damn thing nearly went off the rails and hit the camera as well as the people in the crew behind the safety line yeah it was it was one of those instances where a stunt went wrong and thankfully it didn't go wrong enough where somebody got hurt um, but it was, you think after that, there would have been a call for, um, you know, higher safety precautions and all that. Instead, they had to wait for rust. Yeah. Well, uh, at I this, think what happened with rust was an, you know, an entirely different type of situation, but, but yeah, it, but safety concerns overall on set. Yeah. And they, they need to become a lot more prevalent about the safety concerns. Yes. Um, Particularly when your stunt is not just endangering one or two people, it's endangering 40 mm-hmm. or 50. But let's get back again to everything, everywhere, all at once, because yeah. this is us just drifting Rambling, around. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I was I was really impressed though, like with ambulance and everything, everywhere, all at once, that we're starting to see more mid level movies. Um, and I'd like to see more of them in the cinema. Yeah, I don't want to see movies made at this level just going to Netflix. I mean, first of all, movies made at a much higher level are going to Netflix, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous to me. Red Notice. Um, I can't even. I, I don't know how much that cost. That had to have been somewhere around 150 to $200 million. Oh, And I don't really feel like looking it up. Um, but it wasn't very good. And I, I'm sure Netflix got people to watch it. Because they choose the projects that they want to do outside of some of their prestige things like The Irishman or Roma. They choose most of their movies based on the algorithm. Algorithm, And they go, okay, we know so many people like Ryan Reynolds, so we'll put him in this. And it's got this and this. And okay, so we can calculate roughly that, you know, X amount of people are going to watch it. And we feel that that if X amount of people keep their Netflix subscriptions for another month – so they can watch it, it's worth it. Well, here's a question for you that I've been running this through my head uh, for the last few days. Mm-hmm. Minus Harvey Weinstein at the head of it, would you consider A24 to be the new Miramax in terms of creating uh, mid-level, high-quality indie films that end up raking in big box office? Or at least getting critical acclaim for the most part. Yeah. 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 They've kind of filled that void. Um, I mean, you have Blumhouse over on one side doing like their horror stuff, which is great. And I'm very happy to see that, you know. You have Fox Searchlight. Carved out a a spot for themselves. Fox Searchlight, which with Disney, though, it's just now Searchlight. Yeah. And it – it's kind we of, haven't it's seen kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I'm, is what, good yeah. in a few years. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say 24 has taken the lead. And, and the beauty of what they do and why they're so successful is that they create these very 
high quality indie films, but package them in genre films. Mm-hmm. So like obviously Midsommar and Hereditary um, look like horror films from the outside. It looks like a cult film in the in the terms of the Wicker Man, but intent actually is kind of a breakup movie. <laughs> oh, it's really cool in, in its way. Yes, um, um, the lighthouse uh, packaged as you know two guys in a lighthouse. It's black and white. Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe, Robert Pattinson, gorgeous film by the way. Is a, a story about insanity and isolation. True, but I could see um, like there's a couple of others. Sc- distributors i could see putting this movie out though i could see neon picking it up i Um, I, yeah okay yeah neon and focus features those are the other two that do Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i'm not quite so sure about focus because no focus wouldn't pick this up but i mean they do um, mid-level focus budget um, kind of isn't genre no yeah they're um, a little bit more um, dramatic dramatic. or um period piece Mm mm-hmm yeah, I would say A24 definitely focuses more genre, horror, comedy, um, coming-of-age films. And now with this, sci-fi um, – no, they've done sci-fi before with Ex Machina. And um, oh, yeah. and now we're seeing with this a little bit of action. Mm-hmm. And The next one is coming out this month, too, from A24, The Northman. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, th- I think A24 is having a good month, at least critically. Mm-hmm. Um, if not financially, yeah. hopefully financially. Yeah, because you had X a couple weeks back. True. Um, you've got this. You've got the Northmen. You have men coming up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're on a roll, baby. <laughs> yeah, they're very excited. They're cooking role. out projects left and right, but mm-hmm. they're all good. <laughs> but yeah, but let's let's talk about the cast here from everyone from everywhere, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Um, obviously Michelle Yeoh and. What's great about this role is it it allows it kind of metatextually comments on the fact that there aren't a lot of great roles for women in most movies. Mm. Yeah, you know, she's you know never lived up to her potential. She's had dreams of doing a lot of different things, um, and really, she's just kind of reduced to being a mom who runs the business and is harried. And yeah. then it becomes. You know, that's the text. Then becomes metatextual when we see that one of her other lifelines, she became a famous actress. And we see <laughs> actual footage actual from the show Yo's life. Yeah, on red carpets, doing press lines, things like that, which I thought was great because it kind of highlights that, you know, you know, as an actress, you know, it kind of draws that connection between the part and the player a bit mm-hmm. stronger. And as an actress, she has played a lot of different roles. Um, I mean, kind of lately, she's been kind of like the the mothering role in, or you know, sometimes the stern, disapproving mothering role. You're like thinking in crazy, crazy rich, rich Asians. Asians. I was also thinking um, when she played Santa in Last Christmas, <laughs> the bitchy shop owner, mm-hmm. my lazy elf. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, so it's nice to see basically giving her a lot of different things to do. Yeah. We know she can do action. We know she can do dramatic. Um, I, I like in this, there was a nice blend between dramatic comedy and, um, and the action. So it it gave her a little bit of everything to work with and her comedic timing in this was fantastic. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's stuff that I was seeing in there. 
in her work that I can remember seeing all the way back to when she showed up in one of her first film roles mm. in Police Story 3, Super Cop, <laughs> with Jackie Chan. You know, this is the woman who never rode a motorcycle before. And they said, hey, can you jump this motorcycle up onto a moving train? And she was like, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> and then she does it. You know, she, you know, the stunt team showed her like for an hour or two how to ride a motorcycle. And they basically said, okay, go up this ramp. And then when you land on the train, dump the cycle. And... You're looking. You've never seen this, have you? No. Oh, we're gonna have to pull this up on uh, YouTube later, and oh I will show God. you this same, this stunt because it's fucking insane. And I would say it's fucking insane if you are a well seasoned stunt person. And she had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of like the Hong Kong action film scene in like the eighties and nineties. Anyways, they didn't have like those big inflatable uh, crash um, pads, mats. Like if you jumped out of like the four story building. They had, like, a big pile of cardboard boxes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, there's stories uh, that I've heard over the years. And- I, I, This isn't much of a stunt thing, but I loved when she, um, she arrived to be the Bond girl in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, Tomorrow, yeah, Never, Tomorrow Dies. Never Dies. Um, and when she first arrived in London, and they were looking at her passport, looking at her, they're like... All right, why are you in the UK? She's like, oh, I'm here to shoot a movie. And they're like, oh, really? What? what you? Um, I'm here for uh, James Bond. And they're like, oh, you're the next Bond girl? Oh, please, please. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> they're like ushering her. You, you are ro- more royalty than the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much at that point, yeah. <laughs> but no, she's she's. I, my first experience with Michelle Yeoh, obviously, was uh, a role model for me. You know where I'm going with yes, this. Yes, yes. <laughs> Continue. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. It was my first foreign film I had ever seen. It was in the cinema. I was uh, four years old. No, five, five, five years Six old. Or, well, didn't it come out in 2000 or 2001? Uh, 99 or 2000. I okay. think it was 2000. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I was about four or five years old at the time when I saw it. And I was like, why am I reading subtitles? But then I just got <laughs> drawn in uh, with every player in it and the story. And that fight scene between her and uh, Zhang Ji uh, <laughs> is still one of the best action sequences I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> <laughs> the intensity mm-hmm. of it is just, uh, and then watching those two reunite from Memoirs of a Geisha, which is a completely different type of film. But then seeing her, you know, work in English mm-hmm. outside of, you know, Mandarin and Cantonese, um, I was like, who is this woman? She's incredible. She's, otherworldly kind of like i don't know there's a little bit of like rachel vice that i picked up on her mm-hmm. when i when i was younger um but i was just like I- i'm going to see everything that this woman puts out that i can get my hands on i will have plenty to loan you then <laughs> <laughs> i haven't touched any of the hong kong action stuff i know from her <laughs> i um, think i saw one scene that uh our friend z had posted by the way what the fuck was it about the the one guy in the background in this movie um that looked like z <laughs> big long leather trench the western hat carrying a katana i was like the only thing he's missing is the goddamn backpack 
<laughs> yes, he did look like our friend, which is weird. But, you know, hey, in an infinite universe, you're going to find doubles of people. So, um, let, I want to I want to give. Okay, we're we're showering lots of love on Michelle Yeoh. James and, Hong. And we're definitely oh, well, first of all, James Hong is amazing. In a wheelchair. James Hong in bitching. a wh- in a wheelchair. Old man James Hong in a wheelchair shouting abuse at people. Really warmed the <laughs> cockles of my big trouble in little China love and heart. Not just yours, mine too. I, I grew know. up on on big trouble in little China. You're not on this passport. You're on purpose get on this. It. Mr. Barton. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was it was just that. I was just like, oh. There was a great shot that you got the giggles about the other night when we saw it for the second time, where he's riding into um, into frame and out of frame. But instead, all you see is like barely it's the top of his head getting exactly. scanned. The, they shoot it like an actual, you know, like regular height. And the whole shot is just him. <laughs> Like <laughs> mostly below frame, and and I don't know how I missed that the first time round. The second, I'm sitting there, he's like, and he goes right through, and it's, oh my god, it was ridiculous. And he's talking the entire time, and then of course the people who were walking behind him come into frame, and it was, <laughs> it was. I just lost my shit. Yeah, there's there's yeah, there's so many funny things in this thing. Um. There's two other okay. We already talked about uh, a little bit about Jamie Curtis, and she's wonderful. Mm -hmm. There's two other people I want to talk about in this cast before we finish up here. I don't know his name, so I just call him Kihu Kwan. Yeah, who everybody knows as Short Short Round round. from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, or Goonies. Data from Goonies. Um, I can't remember his name from Goonies. That's what I've seen Goonies a number of times over the years. I own a copy of it. Um, I've seen it in the theaters when it came out uh, about 10 years ago. Um, well, our local uh, community, um, well, former movie theater turned into a community theater for stage and movie screenings, held their anniversary, and they showed Goonies for free off a of print. So I was like, got to go to see that. And, you know, and that was lovely. <laughs> but I never knew the character's first name was actually Richard. I don't it, maybe his parents mentioned it right at the end but I don't think I ever knew that until it was like I saw somewhere uh, an interview with the actor in like Vanity Fair this week or somewhere and they said he plays Richard Data Quan or whatever the character's last name is I was like wait he actually had a first name that <laughs> that you know is canon in this movie okay but yeah Kihu Quan amazing oh my god okay. He he didn't really have much of a Hollywood career after those movies as a kid actor, but he went off, learned um, learned I think ta- Taekwondo, became a black belt in that. Did a TV series in I believe Thailand. Um, worked as a stunt coordinator with uh, Corey Yun. Worked as a camera guy and as, as as on a camera crew for some films. And this is like the first big thing he's done acting wise in front of the camera in forever and he's magnificent he he blew me away in he, this yeah he, he you you the, would never know that he hasn't done anything in forever mm-hmm. the heartbreak when he's trying to when he's talking about how he he doesn't think they can save their marriage uh and that's why he has you know he's filing those divorce papers and then we see an alternate version of that character who is wistful that he and um, 
Evelyn never had a life together. It's one of the alternate worlds where they didn't move, you know, immigrate to America together. And he's much more successful, but he's kind of like, man, I would have loved to have done taxes and run laundry. a laundry mat with you for the rest of my life. And it's a different kind of wistfulness. And it was, it was so sweet and touching that and it kind of fed into when he talks he does this big speech at one point about can't we all just stop fighting i know you're a fighter but so am i i just fight differently than you i fight by seeing the good in everyone it's how i've learned to survive mm -hmm. and it, it was a different way of looking uh, you know, you grow up watching Disney princesses who talk about courage and kindness, and it just becomes a thing in the back of your head as you get older that you can't be like that anymore because you're just going to get walked all over all the fucking time. And that I like how that is sort of reinforced at first in this story when it comes to his character is that, yeah, he gets ignored. He gets walked all over. Um, but there are people who appreciate him for who and, and what he is, mm -hmm. which is the nice guy, is the kind man, the one who is always understanding, the one you can always talk to. And I, I like that part of the story has to do with Evelyn realizing that she didn't, f she may not have fulfilled her potential, but she gave it up for something better. She wasn't fighting for her entire life. She was fighting for theirs. Mm -hmm. And by them being two halves of a whole, her the fighter and him the, the kind one. Oftentimes, they do better solving their problems together yes. than by themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he's very much a key to the film's emotional through line, mm -hmm. thematic through line. And I don't think there was anybody else who could have delivered a better performance for it. Plus, the fanny pack. The fanny pack fight scene early on in the film. That's our first fight scene that we see in this movie, and it, it's the moment that the film flips on its head. Yeah. And he's the one, he did all that work. He practiced months for that. It's beautiful. And um, and I think, again, I think it was the Vanity Fair interview with him where the, he talks about how he practiced for all of that and everything. It's, it's well worth a read. And... When he sits uh, way, down and rolls up his sleeves, yeah. it was just like, oh, shit, what's he doing? And then he grabs the rocks and mm -hmm. puts them into the fanny pack and zips it back up. You're like, oh, fuck, here yeah, we it, go. It's getting real now, boys. <laughs> um, He's but, not playing anymore. But what I liked about that whole sequence was the way it was shot, the way it was edited, uh, the little notes of playfulness within the action sequences, even the way of, you know, it was paced. It all when the felt head hits the other head and the guy's yeah. Ugh. It. It all felt like a throwback to early Jackie Chan films. Yeah. Like Police Story, like Crime Story, um, like Project A, um, all that stuff. And there was a moment I noticed uh, that you reacted to during that fight scene during the, our last time watching it. And it's like a quick 
swipe of the camera as the fanny pack is swinging around near the floor and wraps itself around a guy's ankle before it sends him flying. And you were following that camera movie and you're like, fuck, that's a beautiful oh, shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like maybe, what, a second, second and a half. But they're tracking the camera along with the fanny pack as it's basically almost like rolling along as he's like pulling it around in an arc and it's a it's a what it's an amazing shot i don't even and know how you could get that i'm trying to figure it out and i can't i, I have an idea but <laughs> <laughs> um but what's amazing is they shot that whole sequence in like a day and a half that entire sequence because he was even talking in again in the Vanity fair article my god we should just get money for like pimping out this uh this magazine for them uh he talked about how like yeah i know jackie chan usually has like a you know yeah 14 15 days to shoot whatever you know an action sequence like this and they keep doing it and they'll do it a hundred times to make sure they get it absolutely right and you know we had a day and a half i guess help of rehearsing it for as long as he did and then also being a stunt coordinator himself allowed him to put it on um, to see it from both sides of the camera for optimal yeah Yeah. so maximum effect but the other person i really want to um call out here not jenny slate no um although she's wonderful um yeah there's not a bad performance in this thing Uh, no stephanie hugh Yes. She is, she plays the daughter. And again, very crucial to the emotional and thematic element, uh, storylines here. And absolutely knocks it out of the park. You've not seen her in anything before this, have you? No, I, I, not that I can recall. I know I had, um, because I am a watcher of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel over on Amazon Prime. And she shows up in season three. Um, she's in Shang Chi, but just for like a minute, the brief second, yeah. and it was a waste of her talent because she is so <laughs> fucking good. Um, and, and even in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she's she's good, but you never got to see anything of what she's truly capable of. Mm-hmm. And I think this film would have had a different tone if the daughter had originally. If the daughter had been played by Aquafina as originally cast, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I I think Aquafina is a great actress. Um, I don't I'm I don't think sure she's right for her. Kind, I don't. Yeah, I don't think this is she, slight, she right quite in her no. wheelhouse for this. No, and I'm glad that she um, found it difficult to complete this project because of prior commitments. Um, I mean, I know she had worked, she's obviously worked with Michelle Yeoh before mm-hmm. on Shang-Chi, um, but Stephanie in this just. Yeah, it's, it, like I said, it's, you know, it, this is the movie, it's, it all depends on their two, it's, well, it's a three-hander, really. It depends on her relationship with, you know, her chemistry with Michelle Yeoh and. Michelle Yeoh chemistry with yeah. her husband. Yeah. And triangles. I that that's actually something I learned uh, in theater as well. We, triangles are always at the heart of almost every mm-hmm. show that we do. Is trying to figure out the not just how to physically fit them in, but emotionally how they connect people. And that is so critical here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so critical 
uh, because it's, you know, it's a story about families. Mm-hmm. It's a story about cycles. Uh, I don't want to say cycles of abuse, but how parents treat their children is how children are going to treat their children yeah. when they become parents. And it's about breaking that cycle in ways. It's about um, accepting your children as adults, mm-hmm. which I think everybody can you know, say they've struggled with at one point or another. Yeah. And um, I think there's also uh, a voice in here of generational differences as well and how an older generation comes to be more accepting of a younger. And having to learn to do that, having to learn to have that kind of acceptance. Yeah. Yes. And, and the idea of we play so much a part of our children's lives that once we let them go, we try to find ways to live vicariously through them because we feel like we're getting left behind. Mm-hmm. How to, I think the story really has to play a part in also how to not only let them go, but to be able to step back and not meddle as much. Yes. And I know we have been going on and on about like all the cool stuff, but ultimately all the cool stuff means nothing if it's not for a greater purpose. These, these uh, emotional and character beats working and they do and they, they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. Please guys go see this film. Everything, everywhere, all at once is currently screening wide, so find some time for it. And I think that wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review, because that always helps us attract new listeners. Please join us again next week as we will be looking at the last four years of the great drama series, Killing Eve, and its series finale. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. No.